This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on dirty money moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. In last week's episode, we discussed the plea deals and sentencing hearings for Tara Lee and her cohort, Angelica Wiggins. Angelica's deal was fairly cut and dry. She was sentenced to 21 months in prison without much fanfare. But Tara made things difficult by turning down three different plea deals offered by the feds because she didn't like the idea of serving a minimum sentence of five years in prison. Tara preferred her odds going to trial Her stalling did not do her any favors, though. The deal she ended up taking came with a minimum of eight years. Tara's sentencing hearing was highly emotional and had some unexpected twists. From the large number of victims choosing to speak to the comments full of loathing from the presiding judge. Not even the most seasoned legal or media professionals had witnessed the kind of disdain that was shown for Tara and her scams that day. The judge used words like disgusting, predator, and evil when he sentenced Tara to the maximum possible, just over 10 years. Tara had the opportunity to quietly do her time and follow through on the court's orders, but she just couldn't do it. She began making statements that she was innocent, she didn't complete the recordings as ordered, and she began filing appeals to have her conviction vacated all of which kept her firmly in the Detroit headlines. So where does Tara's case stand now? Have Tara's victims been able to move on since her incarceration? Is there anything people who are looking to adopt can do to protect themselves from falling victim to predators like Tara? What even drives someone to behave the way Tara did in the first place? From Murderish and Cloud10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories, who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people, destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is episode six, Time for Change. Angelica Wiggins was sentenced to federal prison for her part in Tara's adoption scams. She had, among other things, pretended to be birth mothers during phone conversations with adoptive parents, as she did in this call, which was released by WXYZ-TV Detroit on February 12, 2020, the same day Angelica was sentenced. Yes, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Hey, hi, lady. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I had a little bit of morning sickness, but I'm doing good. Hearing the actual recording of Tara and Angelica, how easy it was for them to lie to a clearly vulnerable woman who was overjoyed to speak with her birth mother. It makes you wonder if the two con artists were punished nearly enough. After all, Angelica only served about half of her sentence. She was released on January 22, 2021, to begin three years of supervised release. By July 18th, Angelica had violated two conditions of her release, and her probation officer filed a petition for summons. The first condition she violated stated Angelica had to be employed full-time by a legitimate business, but she hadn't been employed since March 22nd, after getting fired from her job. The second condition stated Angelica had to continually make monthly installment payments for the restitution she owed until it was paid off, but she hadn't made a single payment since her release six months earlier. The summons was issued, and on September 13th, Judge Patricia Morris presided over the initial hearing about revoking Angelica's supervised release. The judge scheduled a violation hearing for September 28th, then released Angelica on a $10,000 bond. As of today, the violation hearing has been rescheduled twice, the last time on October 4th, 2022, and has been put on hold indefinitely. Apparently, the hearing will be reset once Angelica provides a copy of her doctor's statement to the court. It's not known why a doctor's statement is needed, or what statements Angelica has made about being unavailable for her court hearings. There's a possibility that Angelica will have to return to federal prison for violating the conditions of her release once the hearing does take place. It's been nearly three years since Tara was sent to Aliceville Federal Correctional Institute in Alabama to serve her sentence. During that time, she managed to sidestep most of her court-ordered conditions and make enough noise to keep her name in the headlines, which has kept her victims swirling in grief and anger. When Judge Bernard Friedman sentenced Tara, he recommended that she be placed into a maximum security facility based on her lengthy history of lies, deceit, and manipulation. He felt strongly that Tara was a danger to staff and inmates and would find a way to manipulate and profit from people if she wasn't properly supervised. Unfortunately, the Bureau of Prisons, or BOP, gets the final say on where they place prisoners, and they place Tara in a low-security facility. Not only that, but the BOP failed to make sure that the rest of Judge Friedman's orders were being carried out. Remember how Tara was ordered to read and record every single word of each victim impact statement by June 2020? The BOP didn't make sure that Tara followed through on this. I'd bet that Tara didn't exactly remind them that she needed to either. The only reason the oversight was discovered was due to the efforts of WXYZ-TV investigative reporter Heather Catalo. She stayed on top of Tara's case and checked in with the court 
during the spring of 2020 to find out the status of the recordings. Much to the shock of Tara's victims, she hadn't even started the recordings. A spokesperson for the court told Catalo that he thought the recordings were underway. Catalo checked in again in November and December, but the BOP still had not followed through on the judge's orders. Several victims spoke to Catalo about how all of this affected them. It's just very typical her, and she doesn't hold accountability, and now she's not being held accountable in prison, and they're not following through with any of these rules or things that they set for her. We need that closure. It's like a wound that just keeps getting ripped open, and nothing's being done. We can't end this. We can't put it behind us. The BOP gave several excuses as to why Tara's punishment was not being carried out. Apparently, COVID, staff shortages, and other problems at the prison made it impossible to stay on top of things. It wasn't until February of 2021 that Catalo got word that Tara had finally completed the recordings and the probation department was about to start reviewing the tapes to ensure they complied with Judge Friedman's orders. Not surprisingly, in March of 2021, it was discovered that Tara failed to include all of the victim impact statements and would have to re-record everything. Seven investigator Heather Catalo has now learned Lee overlooked some of those victim impact letters and will now have to redo those recordings. The court expects an update from Lee next month. That update didn't come the next month. Who knows what the excuses were, but it would take Tara another six months to complete the recordings as ordered. Aside from Tara not completing the recordings until pushed to do so by outside sources, and the fact that she'd been placed into a low-security facility, there was another part of her judgment that seemed to be disregarded. Judge Friedman had been concerned that Tara would find a way to continue conning people from behind bars, which is why he wanted her in a maximum security facility with less ability to interact freely with people who she could potentially manipulate. It was discovered that Tara was part of a prison pen pal website called Wire of Hope, which can also be used as a dating website, depending on the user's intentions. The About section on Tara's profile started off with a sickening quote considering her crimes. It read, Well-behaved women rarely make history. Gross. Tara was being allowed to communicate and potentially continue to scam from behind bars, exactly what Judge Friedman was trying to avoid. Understandably, this infuriated Tara's victims, and they explained their frustrations to Catalo. What was the point of any of this? If she can still do what she is doing from prison, she obviously isn't going to stop. Even though Lee's judgment states the court feels she is dangerous to staff and inmates based on her history of lies, deceit, manipulation with no remorse, Bureau of Prisons officials say pen pal programs are allowed. He wanted no situation where she could manipulate or, you know, scam any other people. And I feel like this is just another way for her to do that. Tara's lawyer told Catalo that Tara didn't receive any money from anyone via the pen pal program, and even if she had, 
Tara would have put it toward the $1 million in restitution she owed because she hadn't been paying that either. After Catalo made inquiries to the BOP about Tara being part of the pen pal program, Tara removed her profile from their website. It could have been coincidental timing, but probably not. As if all of that wasn't frustrating enough, before the recordings and pen pal issues were even discovered, Tara had filed an appeal. In September of 2020, just six months after taking a plea deal and being sentenced, Tara filed documents stating that she was innocent and her conviction should be overturned. Heather Catalo broke the news of Tara's appeal in February of 2021. Lee filed a motion to have her sentence vacated, complaining about her lawyers and maintaining her innocence, even though she pleaded guilty. It was a slap in the face to Tara's victims for her to suggest that she had done nothing wrong. Here are some of the mind-blowing statements in Tara's handwritten motion. Any families that were not provided with a child were fully refunded all monies involved. Lee ran a legitimate business. Lee's plea was not voluntary, intelligently or knowingly made. Tara wrote that the only reason she was guilty was because she believed her attorney was giving her the best advice to get a shorter sentence. If she had the ability to do it all over again, she would withdraw her plea and go to trial. Because, quote, Lee is factually and actually innocent of the charges against her. Tara also added this ridiculous statement toward the end of her motion. No jury of her peers would have found her guilty. The alleged victims in this case were not taken advantage of by Lee. I'm not sure how Tara could possibly think that's true with all the evidence the FBI had gathered against her. If she hadn't stolen money from her victims, how was she able to buy the tens of thousands of dollars of jewelry, let alone all of the other purchases she made? And what about the recorded phone calls where she admitted to committing fraud? It seems like the entire motion was just another manipulation tactic thrown out like a fishing line, hoping to catch some kind of break. It didn't work. Tara's motion to have her conviction vacated was denied. However, her attorney filed another motion, this time for a certificate of appealability, but that was also denied. On August 9th, 2022, Tara's lawyer filed another motion again seeking a certificate of appealability, which would then allow Tara to appeal her conviction. The motion stated that the original plea agreement was faulty due to incorrect scoring of specific guideline variables, basically saying that Tara's maximum sentence should have been lower. Therefore, the entire plea agreement had to be thrown out. The court disagreed, and on December 9th, that appeal was denied too. The only portion of Tara's motion that was granted was to continue the appointment of her newest lawyer. I'm sure that's not the last we'll hear of Tara trying to get out of her sentence. For now, Tara won't be released from prison until at least 2027, which for many people is way too soon.
Today, Tara's victims are just trying to move on and put this horrible ordeal behind them. Julie Falkenberry gave birth to a healthy baby girl in 2019. Courtney Edmond, Sarah Scott, and Teresa Matheny all have thriving families now. But none of them are free from the painful memories of what they went through. Other families will never be able to adopt because they have no confidence in the system now, and they're too traumatized to even try, thanks to Tara. And many of the birth families Tara scammed will deal with regret and shame for the rest of their lives. One woman, Susan Pleva, a birth mother who had her child taken by Tara and who spoke at Tara's sentencing hearing, is still fighting to overcome the loss of her child and the emotional havoc it's wreaked on her life. Susan was also an adoptee, so she has both sides of the story to tell. She calls herself an adoption activist, trying to bring awareness to the other side of adoptions, the less talked about trauma experienced by the birth mother and the child. The victims of Tara's adoption fraud are calling for national adoption reform, new regulations and legislation that would help to keep scammers like Tara from being able to operate so easily. It's definitely time for a change, but it's an uphill battle. And a lot of people are probably wondering after listening to this story, how families are supposed to protect themselves. Because Tara's scams were so complex and devastating, her case led the FBI to start an adoption awareness campaign. They created a public service announcement about what to look for when considering a private adoption, which was shared on news outlets in November of 2021. The information can still be found on the FBI's website. There are several things you can watch out for when entering the world of private adoptions whether you're a birth mother or a prospective adoptive family. First, double and triple check the validity of the person or agency you're considering working with. Look for reviews online by searching their name. Check Facebook groups and online adoption forums. Maybe even post your own questions and wait for answers. Make sure whoever you choose to work with is licensed by checking with local and state agencies who keep those kinds of records. No matter how legitimate the documents appear, make sure any diplomas or certifications are valid by contacting schools or agencies that issued any documents. Do not respond to any unsolicited communication to sign you up as a birth mother or prospective adoptive parent. Pay close attention. If the person or agency is difficult to reach by phone or email, there could be a problem. You should be able to have personal contact with a birth mother or adoptive family. It is not normal for someone to control all communication between you and the other adoption participant. You should be able to meet your birth mother or adoptive family as soon as possible so you can ask questions and start a relationship. Make sure to get proof of pregnancy. If the fees quoted to you are inconsistent or if you're being told to pay expenses immediately, to avoid losing out on your adoption opportunity, something is wrong. Likewise, if you're working with someone and they start asking for unexpected fees, alarm bells should be ringing. 
If they make guarantees about the adoption process, such as the time frame within which you'll be matched, or how quickly and easily the adoption will be finalized, or if they seem to be forcing a quick decision on your part, you should be wary. Adoption scammers and scammers in general often try to create a sense of urgency to scare people into acting quickly before they're ready or have had time to do their homework. If you feel pressured, there's likely a problem. Always trust your instincts. If something seems off, it probably is. Some people wonder if Tara had any other accomplices besides Angelica Wiggins. The short answer is probably. But the FBI wasn't able to connect anyone else based on applicable adoption laws. There's been a lot of speculation among Tara's victims that some of her family members could have helped her, or at the very least, been aware that she was coming into large amounts of money and turned a blind eye. As I mentioned before, we reached out to several members of Tara's family for comment, but none of them responded. So we don't have their side of the story. We do know that Tara's sister, Katie, had been a labor and delivery nurse at Hutzel Women's Hospital in Detroit, where many of Tara's birth mothers delivered their babies. There was enough suspicion that something might be up with Katie that she was kept away from the NICU after the birth of Teresa and Mike Matheny's baby. And according to them, Katie was even suspended based on the circumstances. The suspicion was that Katie would let Tara know about pregnant women who came into the hospital, and then Tara could hit them up about adoption. Or Katie could tell her about babies who were just born, and Tara could swoop in. Neither Katie nor any other family member of Tara's was ever arrested. Tara also could have had some help connecting with women at the methadone clinics, but there were no arrests related to that either. There are a few final questions in all of this, like, why did Tara allow some adoptions to be successful? Was it out of the kindness of her heart? No, very likely not. It's more probable that this was merely classic scam artist behavior. There have to be some successes in order for people to keep coming back. The con artist has to let the victim win from time to time. If Always Hope had never had a single successful adoption, nobody would want to work with Tara. And if nobody worked with Tara, then she didn't make any money. How she decided which adoptions would be successful, well, that's something only Tara knows for sure. The only thing left to answer is why. Why did Tara do these awful things? Dr. Joni Johnston, a forensic psychologist who currently evaluates mentally disordered offenders who are up for parole, has a few theories about Tara and adoption scammers in general. According to Dr. Johnston, one of Tara's motivations was simple, money. Tara developed ways to cheat people out of money, but she was especially cruel about the way she went about it. She didn't scam people from a distance. Tara got close to each couple she preyed on. She got to know them, their hopes, dreams, and their fears. She made up ways to sympathize with her victims and gain their friendship and trust. 
before destroying them financially and emotionally. That emotional component of terrorist scams is an actual thing. An emotional scammer, as they're often referred to, isn't interested in money. They're interested in pity. Much like Tara making up stories about being sick or having been shot, or how she got people to be so enamored by her, an emotional scammer plays off the hopes and dreams of their victims, their insecurities and fears, and tries to keep their victims' attention for as long as possible. It's that attention that emotional scammers are after. Tara might have also been motivated purely by the satisfaction of the con, being able to get so close to her victims and still be able to deceive them right under their noses. Kind of like Tara being able to get her hands on all of that luxury jewelry, but not feeling the need to wear much of it. It was all about the scam. Dr. Johnston explained in an article for Psychology Today that the bottom line on adoption fraud is that the adoption con artist makes money through deception. Dr. Johnston said, they take advantage of a weakness or vulnerability, loneliness, insecurity, longing, or simple ignorance. Then they exploit people at their most vulnerable. And who's more vulnerable than someone who desperately wants to be a parent? Next time on Dirty Money Moves, you're going to hear from two women who helped take Tara down. Talia and Tanya, the two lawyers whose names you've heard previously in the podcast, sat down with me for an interview. Talia and Tanya walked me through how they first came to know Tara, their business dealings with her, and how they eventually helped to take her down. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned for next week's episode. If you or someone you know has been victimized by an adoption fraud scheme, or you believe you might be working with a scammer, you can report it to the FBI by calling 1-800-CALL-FBI. That's 1-800-C-A-L-L-F-B-I. You can also submit a tip online at tips.fbi.gov or file a report online at the Internet Crimes Complaint Center at ic3.gov. Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.